Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, the place to get to meet the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and with me as always is Joel McCall. Hello, hello, hello. How you doing today, Bob? Good. Where have you been up to? Just uh, enjoying the weather? I've Yeah, I've been uh, trying out different kinds of masks. Ah. Go on. Being you know, socially it's, responsible, it's, huh? <laughs> well, I'm more more concerned with the fashion statement I've been making. Yeah, you know. should be. So, um, yeah, absolutely. We have a we have an interesting guest today. Uh, this is somebody Joel's known quite a while, I believe. Yep, that's a fact. And and you, in spite of that, you still want him on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Uh, this is a gentleman that I uh, saw his name on the back of a record album decades ago. And uh, through fate and, and whatever kismet happenings that brought us together, uh, he actually produced and recorded my CD. We've become... I would say pretty good friends. He may differ, but I wouldn't believe him. Uh, so it's my great pleasure to introduce my friend Merle Bragante. Hey, Joel. Hello, Merle. Hi, Bob. How are you guys doing? Hey, Joel, before I go any further, may I suggest a hamster mask? It will work perfectly with you. or <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Hi, guys. How you doing today? I'm honored to be. I am honored to be here. Well, we're honored to have you here. Well, um, thank you. So, before uh, you and I turn you and Joel loose, um, just I kind of want to give the uh, audience a little bit about your background because they might be familiar with some of the work you've done. All right. Well. Probably the first band that some of the uh, more um, aged people that listen might know is a band called The Sunshine Company. And that was a, a band that I was a part of out, of out of college. We were all college kids. We all came from the, the same hometown, a place called San Pedro, California, which is actually the port of Los Angeles. And we, we all went to junior college together. And we, and we started playing together because most of us played in bars in LA with fake IDs back in the mid sixties. And, um, we got together because we all sang and we all had fun together. And, and, um, without getting into a, a long and boring story, um, we were told one night at a open mic that this fellow could get us a record deal. And we said, well, sure you can. Here's our phone number. Call us when you got it. And I'll be son of a gun if he didn't call the following week and told us to go to a certain recording studio in Hollywood. None of us had ever been to Hollywood. I mean, we were, I mean, we, we grew up in a small town. And um, so we went. And I'll be damned. We walked into a recording, a little tiny room, and um, we recorded a couple songs. And when we were done, we thought we were Every, we, we thought we were the baddest of all badasses because we, find, we were in a recording studio in Hollywood. Well, they told us to follow them and they would open a door and then we would stand against the back wall and watch another session. And so we walked in. There's this huge 
soundstage. And I'll be damned, but it, Neil Diamond was the artist. And he was singing in a vocal booth and this big orchestra. Many of the rhythm section people um, I, I became good friends with, uh, um, they, were, they were called the Wrecking Crew. And I was um, not long thereafter um, introduced and, and, and got, had a chance to learn from them for many years. Anyway, what blew my mind was there was this guy with a big nose playing um, tambourine on the session. And it ended up that it was Ringo Starr. And I freaked and immediately was a, <laughs> was immediately escorted out of the control room. Um, that band did really well. It was, it was a, a wonderful experience for all of us because we were children and, and so novice. And we ended up with hit records and, and it went like that. <clears throat> anyway, after that, I, I worked at a publishing company for a gentleman owned by a gentleman by the name of Johnny Mercer. And any of the songwriters out there, Johnny Mercer is a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame and has written many, many of the, uh, of the, the great classics. And I worked with his publishing company for a year or so. And, and that's when I started learning how to engineer. From that came a band called Loggins and Messina. Uh, Jimmy Messina and I became friends when he was in the Buffalo Springfield. And the Sunshine Company, um, the agency that we that, that we played for, our agent had four acts. Um, we were the baby act, and then they had the Buffalo Springfield, the Doors, and the Jefferson Airplane. And so if we weren't doing our concerts, we were out on the road either opening for the Doors, the Jefferson Airplane, or the Springfield, and that's when I met Jimmy Messina. We became dear friends then because we both sailed. And... Um, he called me at that time. I I said, screw the business. And I moved to Sacramento outside of Sacramento and I was working on a horse ranch there. And I, I learned about horses when I was, I guess I was 14. My dad was a, a, a Genoese commercial fisherman and my mom was a cowgirl from East Montana. So I, I had this sort of diverse upbringing and, um, my mom wanted me to know about horses. And so I, I, she found a place where I could muck stalls for lessons. And that's where, where my love for horses started, which I hold to this day. Anyway, Messina called me and asked me to come down and audition for some band that he was putting together to, to produce an artist by the name of Kenny Loggins. And I, 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 I was convinced to go. Let's put it that way. And I went and, and I actually got the gig. And it was wonderful. I mean, that was, that was an amazing band, an amazing experience, an amazing time um, with some of the finest musicians that I'll ever have the honor of playing with. After that, I played with a guy named Chris Hillman. He played with the Doors and um, Flying Burrito Brothers and like that. He was one of the original birds. And he had an, um, um, his own one of two solo albums that he had just finished and he asked me to play drums and tour that record with him. And I did. And then I actually played on his second and last solo record. And from that, I played with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band for a good while. And, um, sort of in between that and, and Pure Prairie League, I played with a guy named David Soul, who was the original Hutch and Starsky and Hutch. And he was also a singer and songwriter. 
And I played with uh, Pure Prairie League. I lived in Nashville for a few years and played with a guy named Gary Morris. And then I moved and to Phoenix and met my wife, um, Sarah Pierce, who I have, who I have had um, an incredibly long and incredibly wonderful relationship with. And she's also, I, I consider a world-class singer-songwriter. Um, she's a couple of decades younger than me, and we've been married for 31 years, so I, I guess I do, I do something right. And um, it's been like that. It's been a great life. I tell people I was born in heaven, raised by angels. I don't deserve the life I've had, and I hope it lasts a lot longer because I love my life. It's been a great one. And meeting people like Joel. I mean, you know, I'd be, I, I've gotten pretty good at engineering and I've been producing for a good long time and I've had some pretty real success and some of the great stuff that I've done has been with people that I've never met that end up being these wonderful songwriters and, and become friends. And one of them is Joel. And, and I'm not saying that because he's sitting over there with his, with holding his head up with his right hand or maybe left because we might be backwards. I'm not sure about that. I'm a drummer. So whatever. Um, anyway, Joel is one of the people that I've met in this business that I that I've become dear friends with, and and that's sort of how my life has gone. Well, you weren't treated cake to the cake. You weren't treated to the cake song that I was when we were waiting for you. <laughs> I'm oh, so he, he he will be. <laughs> oh, I bet I will. Yep. Joel has promised to come. I have a studio now. Sarah and I left Austin. Oh, six and a half years ago. We lived there for a long time. We moved to Texas from um, Santa Barbara, California. And I, I wonder about that sometimes, but that's okay. That's okay. And um, we lived in Austin for 19 years. Had a studio there where Joel recorded his wonderful record. And uh, about six years ago, we really needed to get out of the city because we both grew up in the country, really. And Sarah found 10 acres um, about six miles north of a little town called Liberty Hill, Texas. And um, I was able to build a new studio here, which is basically the size of our old house. So I've opened, I've opened things up literally as well as figuratively, and, and here we are. And for the people who, who aren't familiar with the area, that's still within the Austin area. It's not like you moved to uh, far west Texas or something like that. You no, know. It, Absolutely true. Um, I am I am basically forty miles north and a tad west of Austin. So I have I have all the joy of living on ten acres with with good air and and all my animals um, and a beautiful wife and a great studio. Um, and I have the availability of a ton of world class players at every position that I could possibly want to fill on any of my productions, world-class, great players, just great. So I have, I, I, I live where I want to live and have all the uh, um, um, availability of at what was once the live music capital of the world. I'll be good, Joel. I promise. So you don't be good on my, on my account, Merle. You just be Merle. That's scary, and you know that. So, yeah, Bob, it take it, Bob. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you came from, you said you guys moved here from Sacramento, kind of to the Austin. No, 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 no. 
No, I moved, we, I moved from Sacramento back to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. When Messina asked me to, to audition for this band for Loggins, um, uh, Sarah and I moved here from Santa Barbara. Okay, yeah, that, I realized that when you said no, that wasn't it. And I go, oh, wait, yeah, it was Santa Barbara. Um, so what what convinced you guys to move to uh, Texas and specifically Austin? Honestly, um, Sarah and I met when I lived in, in, in Phoenix. I moved to Phoenix from, from Nashville. Um, okay, we're all friends here. I was a junkie, and I um, spent – some hard years doing some pretty serious drugs. I've been straight enough for 37 years. Um, and when I moved to Phoenix, I moved Phoenix because if I didn't, I knew that I would be dead. I had a daughter from a previous marriage. I wanted to know her as an adult. Um, now I have two grandkids, so I'm happy about that. And we're dear friends. Um, I managed a little studio there, a great little studio. And um, at one point in time, um, I met Sarah. And um, she moved actually to Phoenix. She lived in, in Colorado. And I lived, I lived in Colorado in the mountains for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. And, and um, I taught school. Um, I taught tour man international tour management and production and, and audio engineering and stuff. At a nice studio... In Denver, and I taught for a gentleman by the name of Jim Gersio at the best ranch or the best studio I've ever worked in, which was Caribou Ranch um, up in Nederland, Colorado. I engineered there and produced out of there, and, and Jimmy opened up that studio as a, a school of advanced recording arts back in the real early 80s, and he asked me to teach a couple of his classes, and so I was honored to do that. Anyway, um, I met Sarah, and she moved to Phoenix to be with me, and, and we went, um, we were there for a couple of years. We had a band. I put a band together for her. The first time I saw her sing, I was floored. She was so nervous. The first time she sung that I thought to myself, I'm going to have to tell this woman, basically, she, she shouldn't quit her day gig because um, she really couldn't sing. And I didn't know really how to do that other than the fact that I promised her that I would never lie to her about that. And so when, when I finally started singing, um, I wasn't, oh boy, it was tough. And then uh, the band that she was playing with, singing with at the time, just sitting in, played a solo. And I watched that woman tr transform herself, which I've seen her do now many times. She just took a deep breath and I saw this different face and, and she went from being frightened to being I'm going to kick ass. Fuck y'all. And the next time she, when she got back to singing, it was like a miracle. And I heard this astoundingly beautiful alto voice finish the song. And the second she was done with that song, I mean, her voice was still ringing in the rafters of this funky beer bar up in, in Canyon City, Colorado. And by the time it was done with the band, she was out the door sitting in her car had smoked probably already two cigarettes and eaten a Snickers bar. And, and I walked out and she said, I was terrible. I was so terrible. I was so embarrassed. And I said, you have no idea how incredible you were. And that's how it started. And she came to Phoenix finally and we put a band together and we were there for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine who lived in Santa Barbara said, Merle, listen, um, 
we're really looking for a drummer. And we're really looking for a lead singer. And I knew that he lived in Santa Barbara, which is right on the Pacific. And I grew up on the ocean. My dad was a fisherman. So I grew up 100 miles to the south. And I'm like, let me, I have to think about it. Santa Barbara, drummer, singer. Let me think. Okay, we'll go. I talked to Sarah, of course. And, and so we moved to Santa Barbara. We were there for a good couple of years. We made so much money, but it was during the, the dance craze time for country music back in the um, early, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And we were doing dance music. It had nothing to do with original music. It had nothing to do with anything other than I had a list of about 200 songs, and, and they were all broken up into dances and tempos. I want a slow walking wansie. What the, excuse my mind, what the fuck is a walking wansie? It was a weird dance. But they did it, and they wanted it. But they wanted a slow one. So I, I went to my walking wazzy list. I said, okay, let me see. There's one at about 100, 101 beats a minute. That'll be a good one. And I'd call it. And we'd do it. And Sarah would sing the shit out of it. in a great band. And then finally, we were playing in Vegas. And we were offered a gig that they offered us so much money that we had to say no. <laughs> Sincerely. It was, it was a gig at the Circus Circus. Five years. Fought one year and four options at the hotel hell. Right. <laughs> Sarah was Sarah was thirty six weeks a year, so we had a lot of time off. They offered Sarah a third of a million to start. Nice, it, really nice. The band would make a hundred thousand dollars a year. The gig was an hour on with the band, half hour with Sarah, an hour on with the band, and that was it for the night. Lodging, food, and each one of us would make a hundred grand. She'd make three hundred, and. We got together and talked, and we had that meant we had to move to Las Vegas, and we might be there for five years because the hotel had the options, and we all had to sign a contract. And we looked at each other, and we said, "This place, everything that works in this place, is made from the money of losers. There's got to be some serious karma attached to the whole deal." And and we passed, and we went back home, and and. Um, Joel knows this gentleman well. You may as well. An amazing guitar player by the name of John Inman. And John had come to, to actually Phoenix to record Sarah's first record. And I had, I production managed festivals, which is one of the things I do. And I production managed a festival that Jerry Jeff opened, and John was the, the guitar player. And um, he was amazing. So I had to introduce myself. And anyway, I mean, I, we spoke and finally John was like, come and visit with Kay, his wife and I, and let me introduce you around because I think you guys belong in Austin. And, um, we went and he did and we met folks and, and met some incredibly beautiful people and, and amazing players. And, um, we looked at each other and said, it's hard to break this band up and it's really hard to live where we live. We live 200, 200 feet from the bluff. I mean, I, we had Zimbidium orchids growing wild in our backyard. And we said, now we got to do it. So we did. And that was a spring of, spring of 94. And we've been in Texas ever since. Sounds like you guys fit in well here, though. We do. Um, when we first got to Austin and we were looking for a house, we were told move south because everyone lives south. All the cool people. Uh, um, <laughs> um, eight, six, 
it was like oh four whatever it's the oh four or whatever right and so everyone said everyone said move south so of course we immediately moved north because neither one of us are terribly cool and we found a great house north of 2222 in Shoal Creek almost half an acre of land in town and um, we bought it for a song because the planes would land over our house at the old airport. Mm-hmm. And I had, and I tried to record there. And for two years, I was dodging planes. I could hear them in the headphones. And I'd say, okay, sing fast. Oh, God, we got to stop. We got to stop. And this plane had come over. And then we thought, okay, I can hear it landing because we were that close to the airport. Right. Okay, it's done. Go. You guys play now. Please play now. And, and it went like that. And um, we were there for 19 years. And, and um, some really great recordings came out of that little place and, and some real successful ones. And um, then, but it was time to move. We really, we had our horses here and we were paying an exorbitant amount of money every month just to have our horses. And we wanted some land and, and, and just all the things that we grew up with, you know, and, 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 so Sarah went looking and find, and, and she really did. And she finally found the place we live and, and Joel's been here. It's a nice place. It's, it's just, it's a nice country home in, in on 10 acres of, of oak trees and, and cedar. And, um, <laughs> and I spent about a year building a studio that really makes sense. And, and so now that's what we do. It's a beautiful place, Merle. Thank you, Joel. I know yours is as well. You owe me. Yeah, you. I owe you big. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm the only one not living on the acreage out of of the three of us here, people. So, where do you do you live south? Yes, I live in Circle Uh, C. uh, Oh, you do. You oh, um, a dear friend of mine. Two dear friends of mine live near you. One, my favorite keyboard player on earth, a fellow by the name of Riley Osborne, lives out your direction. Oh, he lives out your direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, a world, our, our world-class mastering engineer in Austin, Texas. And he is world-class. I mean, he's done multiple thousands of recordings and, and a master. His name is Jerry Tubb. Jerry and Diane live out in your I mean, you're neck of the woods as well. So. Yeah, it's nice down here. I mean, I, the part I do like about living south is you don't, not everything's the chain restaurants and stuff like that. You have a lot of places with a lot of character. You don't live south. You don't live south. You live in Circle C. I'm talking about South Congress. Oh, no. And, I, and, I can go over there real easily. Of course you can, but you don't live there. I'll, I'll cut you some slack on that. Ah. So, well, South Lamar is pretty if? fun. What? I said South Lamar is pretty decent. You've got Matzel Rancho and all those kind of places down there, the little funky places. Okay, now, now, Matt, if it's alive, it's alive now because it got saved, because they quit. And the only other, um, um, well, Saxon Pub is still there. Yeah. And the only reason it's there is because somehow the landlord cut him slack. And the only other place that I know of down there anymore is the Broken Spoke, and the Broken Spoke is now this little tiny place surrounded by these giant ugly by buildings. skyscrapers. 
and I and I don't know how long um, um, it'll last. Okay. Yeah, no, I know that's Austin. When we moved here, Austin was an astounding place, and um, over the years, it's lost a lot of its music charm. It really, really has, um, which sort of breaks my heart because Austin, um, Austin, arguably was one of the great music centers on, in the world, and there was a good while when I sat on. Um, um, the Austin Arts Commission. And, you know, I would go to those silly meetings and I would sit there and I would listen to people talk about this art gallery and this museum and this, that, and the other thing. And they would just talk and there'd be nonstop stream of conversation through the arts arts co- community. And then all of a sudden someone would say, okay, meeting's adjourned. And I'd raise my hand and I'd say, oh, wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And one time I actually said, what what is the actual motto, the unofficial official motto for Austin, Texas? And I, and I drew a bunch of pretty blank stares, and I said, it's the live music capital of the world. And we've talked about every kind of art possible, but yet I haven't been able to get in a word in edgewise about music. And, and they had no interest in that whatsoever. And, I, and so I... I was like, I'm out of here. Um, and I still love Austin. Mm-hmm. I have, I have um, a very dear place in my heart. Um, it's just really changed. Yeah. It, you have to admit, it, the three of us have lived there for a long time. Joel and you and I, and, and it's just changed. It's not the Austin that I, that I, I played here first in 1967. Wow. I played here. That was before I Joel. Played <laughs> I played here in 1967 in the Sunshine Company. And, and I mean, I remember staying at people's houses out in the, what's the hill country. But I was on the hill country. And then I played at the Armadillo. I played there with Chris Hillman. I played there with the Dirt Band. I played there with Lawrence Messina. I love the Armadillo World Headquarters. It's gone. You know, yeah. I, it just, it's, it's just um, progress. Progress that I don't care for particularly, but it's progress. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things. You know, when they tear them down, you just you just shake your head and go, "Well, that's really going to change the the face of the city." Um, it is. I know. One time, I was uh, my wife saw some video some guys shot, and they were showing it. Uh, he shot it here in the '90s, and then he uh, came back uh, a couple years ago, and they showed the same video at different spots. And she said, there was bare grass downtown, you know, bare lots. I'm like, yeah, there was. No, there was. There was. And there was a time when we moved here when Austin, um, in terms of square mileage, had the largest amount of land dedicated to parkland of any major city in America. And now, I mean, Zilker, mm-hmm. um there's still some parkland, but anyway, it's Austin. You know, I, um, I love it. I hate it. It's good. Yeah. So, um, so what are the plans? What are the plans for you and Sarah these days? Well, Sarah's, uh, well, let me see. Um, musical plans, I'm assuming. And, um, yeah, she's, she's, 
we're we're sort of having a little bit of an arm wrestling match right now because she's got a, a new album written. Um, some I think some of her better, if not best songs, written yet. And and so she's doing that, and we're preparing to record. Um, with with the COVID thing going on, making the studio um, safe for people. And I think I've done pretty well. Um, we have rules now that we have to follow in terms of of, of um, how we re- how people interact when when I'm I'm recording them, which include masks and stuff. Um, the beauty is that over the past years, I've really become facile with sending files here and sending files there and receiving files and. And, and really being able to work with studios and engineers literally around the world. I, I just finished an album with a fellow named Tom Farney, brilliant poet. I'm not joking. He lives in, in Edinburgh, and he came here. He sent me songs from Scotland. I listened, and we chose 13 songs to record. Um, we did pre-production over the phone. He finally got here. We fine-tuned the pre-production that we'd done. He played and sang. Um, I brought in a Mark Epstein, an amazing bass player. He played. I played. Mike Dorian, the guitar player, played. Um, Tom had sung and played his guitar and, and, and gave me his vocal live. So I already had that. When it, what he gave me was what it was, and we played to that. And then finally they left, and and I continued to overdub here some stuff. Cody Braun from Reckless Kelly. Um, I sent files to L.A. for for Dave Perlman, the legendary pedal steel player who has also now become a legendary tube mic um, designer and, and builder. Um, people from Scotland sent tr- tracks. I got tracks from a wonderful guitar player, who's guitar player in Belgium. That's just the way it works now, you know. I mean, I get tracks from Italy. Um, I'm, I just finished a mix from a girl in in, Austin, in, in I'm sorry, in Aspen. Um, I'm working with with a, a, a lady that's an actress that people recognize that I can't really talk about. She lives in L.A. and I've done her, her last. I did her last record, and I'm working on new singles now for her and Sarah. Um, so that's what's going on. We're, we're working on her record. Um, and I mean, she's a, she's a, an incredible hero, brave woman because her day gig, she's a first responder and, um, she sees sick people and, and she saves people's lives. And then she comes home and writes these brilliant, I think brilliant songs and has a world-class, beautiful voice. So. She's definitely a renaissance woman as far as I'm concerned. To answer your question, Joel, I'm waiting patiently for you to come out here so I can start recording your next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love that. Uh, so are you playing live anywhere? Do you go no. out to Liberty Hill and, no. and, and no. play at the no, VFW or anything like that? No, we're not. And, and the reason we're not now the gigs are coming back, honestly, we don't go out. Um, we, we, when 
Sarah gets home from the clinic, we, we're home. And the, the biggest reason is because even though Texas has now opened up, although now the cases in Texas are on the rise again, of course, um, the reason we don't go out is because Sarah has the potential of being exposed every day she goes to work. And so that means that every day if we go out, she has the potential of being asymptomatic and exposing other people. And so we have made a very conscious decision to not go. So we're not gigging right now. We're just concentrating on the recording. And um, every morning when we wake up, we look at each other, and the first thing we say is, well, I love you. But certainly right next to it is, how do you feel? You okay? Yeah. How are you? I'm okay, too. All right. Then when she gets home, she's okay. They take her. They take her temperature in the morning when she arrives. They take her temperature when she leaves. And and she comes home. How you feel? Okay. Are you too? Yeah, I'm fine. We have dinner. Go feed the horses. Feed the goats. Feed the chickens. Gather eggs. Come in, and and have our evening. And then the next day it all starts again. Have that's why we're not. Have you given any thought to doing any live streaming? Yes, we have. Um, Sarah really has this desire to, to not do that until she's got new songs to present, which is part of the quandary that we find ourselves in right now. And I'm sure other people that play music, that record, that may well be listening to this, might find themselves in. And that is, you write new songs and they become your faves. It's sort of like, that seems like the way it goes. Sarah, how you, how's that new song? Oh, it's great. I love it. What about the other nine albums? Well, they're, go, they're okay, but I've got new songs that are great. All right. Well, the quandary that I'm in right now is with, with Mike Dorian, the guitar player, as you all know. He's an amazing player. And we've taken the music to a different direction. And, and so Sarah's got all these new songs, but she's also got some pretty great old songs. Um. And I want to record. I want to re-record some of them. This may end up being what would be considered a double CD, and CDs are really sort of a, a passe, and so it would be digital release primarily. And um, so we're going through that right now. We're not quite sure. How, I'm not quite sure how that's going to flush out because she is the boss with her music. She's the boss. I produce the music, but she's the artist, and. Uh, so right now, yes, it's a consideration, but we haven't really taken that any further than, than talking about it, knowing that we should be doing it because everybody else on earth is doing it, which probably floods the market. So we might be doing ourselves a favor by not doing it, you know? I don't know right now, Joe. You're doing it. Is it working? Well, I'm not doing it much. I'm kind of staying out of the way. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to not have to gig for a living. And, oh, yeah, uh, me too. You know, and it's like I don't want to take any attention away from guys that need, need to make some money. You know? I get it. I totally yeah. get it. The problem is that I've played the drums for a long time, a few decades, and um, thankfully I've got a set of drums that stay in the studio. An old a 1959 Ludwig's. I love them. 
Um, they're big old tubs and they sound great. Um, I sit down and play them every day. The act of performing, I started performing, I started playing music when I was four. By the time I was five or six, I was doing, I was in an orchestra and we were performing little, little like kid concerts. And that's gone on ever since. And from four to the age I am now is a hell of a long time. And I've performed that entire time. Um, I started drum, drumming when I was 20, but I played philharmonic music from the time I was eight. I, I picked up an instrument that really worked for me, and and, and for some reason I, I got really good really young. And so I got to play in, in some great orchestras. Um, and I just really, I have to play. I have to play. I, 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 have to play. I've, I've, I've played, as, as we like to say, you know it's real when you're playing in a trio and you outnumber the audience. And you know it's real when the biggest audience you've ever played in front of is a million, 200,000 people. And I've done both. So it's real to me. I really love to play. So, you know, I mean, not playing, I honor the reason that we're not playing. Because gigs are out. There's gigs to be found. Um, I honor Sarah because she will not endanger other people. I honor Sarah because um, there have been times when we've gone in the market and someone will come up and they'll say, Sarah, Sarah, and, and it's one of her patients. And Sarah will be, oh, man, uh, she gets sort of humble about all that stuff. And that person will look at me and she'll say, or he or she will say, your wife saved my life. She found cancer that no one could find. And she directed me correctly and she saved my life. And I've heard that numerous times. Then I've also seen a woman come rushing across an HEB for you, those who don't know. It's a, a, a supermarket chain that's common to Texas. And, and um, let's just say a large person come running across an aisle at H-E-B and lifting up their shirt and saying, Sarah, the rash is gone. You did it. And (laughs) (laughs) so that's, it goes that way as well, you know? Sure. um, That's why we're not gigging, Joel. Okay. Well, sounds like to me, we should be talking to Sarah. That's what I'm thinking. Well, you should because she's a hell of a lot more interesting than I am. Well, well, we'll have to get her on as well. Yeah, we'll we'll have to get her on sometime. Well, that would be great because she'll she'll tell you about it. No, well, I have no doubt. So, <laughs> have no well, doubt. Speaking of, so, uh, uh, th- yes, sir. Go ahead. No, go. You go. Oh, um, you know, speaking of uh, ancient history and stuff like that. So, what was it like touring with the Doors and Jefferson the Airplane? Oh, it that was had- great, man. It was great. It was great. The Doors. Um, at the time, all L.A. guys, and, and we were all L.A. guys, and we all sort of hung out together because the Troubadour was sort of a, a it, it was it was a, a central meeting place. All the bands back in the late 60s, you, you always ended up at the Troubadour. You know, someone would be playing there, Hoyt Axton or, or um, Long Branch and Penny Whistle before that became the Eagles or... Uh, Linda Ronstadt or uh, whomever. And um, 
we would go and we would meet there and, and we would sit up in the balcony and, and enjoy our friends performing or we would be performing ourselves. Um, the open mics at the Troubadour in the late 60s became like a who's who on uh, Jackson and, and David Lindley and um, Bonnie Raitt. And I mean, it was like that. Those were the people that were there. And, and um, so the doors, touring with the doors was a little bit weird, only in that the audience was expecting something and they always got it. Um, we opened for the doors in Phoenix when, when what they called the Sparkler War happened which cha literally changed um, um, the rules involved with having um, um, oh, any kind of fireworks in a, in a concert or uh, um, the word has escaped me right now. Pyrotechnics? Um, pyrotechnics. Any kind of pyro. Thank you. Any kind of pyro. Um, you re it, it was real loose. And I remember someone throwing a sparkler at stage during Light My Fire and Morrison picking it up and flinging it back at the audience, which brought a couple more. And all of a sudden there was this, I mean, it, it got real serious. It got really serious. Um, there were, there were moments um, touring with the doors that I won't talk about just because they're way too private, not necessarily for me, but for people that were involved. Sure. And so that, that'll remain private. Um, touring with the airplane was wonderful. I had this mad crush on, on Gracie. Um, they were all good friends. Um, amazing. It was amazing. Um, huh. quick story. Is it okay? Sure. Sure. Okay. So we were touring, we were in New York and it was during the days of White Rabbit, the song White Rabbit. And we had performed and we were backstage and this little girl came back to Gracie and she had this White Rabbit. And she handed it to Gracie and she said, Gracie, I, I, I would love for you to have this gift kind of thing. And Gracie was like, oh, thank you so much. So she, so she took the rabbit, talked to this little person a little while and then, the, and then they, she left. Little person left and Gracie, I, I don't want this fucking thing. So Mary and the Sunshine Company, our girl singer, said, I'll take it. So the next thing I know, we're touring with a rabbit. And so we're in a hotel room in New York City, the Holiday Inn on, on West 57. And we decided that we wanted to go find some, some smoke. So we're going to the East Village. That's where I met Jerry Jeff, because he at the time he played, he wasn't Jerry Jeff yet. And he was playing at a place called the Electric Circus in the East Village, where I got my first Nehru jacket. Come on. And um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we went, and uh, me and a couple of the guys in the band, we went, but we couldn't find any pot. But we found a nice chunk of hashish. So we're like, all right. So we went back to the hotel with this. And we had a little pipe and we were taking little pieces of hash and putting it in the pipe. And, and our lead guitar player, a dear friend who I played in a, in a, um, like a psychedelic band in LA and bars before the Sunshine Company, Doug Mark, Doug Red Mark, great guitar player and a sweet, sweet man. 
Anyway, Doug was a typical lead guitar player, a little bit skinny and like a rooster and, and had a little bit of a shake. He was a little bit nervous. So he had the pipe and, and he lit this little piece of hash and, and it fell out of the pipe. And we spent a lot of money on that stuff. So we're like, Red, get down there and find that, please. And so he got down on his hands and knees and he found it and he put it back in the bowl of the pipe and stood back up and lit it, blew out the smoke and he said, blah, that tastes like shit. Well, he found a rabbit turd. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> and that's my airplane store. Huh. They were great. I mean, there was a great band. Yorma was great. Jack Cassidy was great. Um, I can't remember the name of the original drummer, Spencer Dryden. I just remembered. He was a wonderful drummer. Um, they were, it was good days, you know, 67 and 68, um, spending the summer in, in, uh, um, in the hate, yeah. um, playing, playing, pl- um, playing the, the, uh, um, um, oh, um, Fillmore so many times playing Winterland being a band that played in the first human being in San Francisco, playing love ins. Um, it was, it was a really cool, it was a cool time. It was a time of liquid light and, um, um, magical experiences for sure. So that's sort of, that's sort of what I say about that time. Right. So do you have something you were going to ask me? I was going to ask you if you're a player. Oh no, not not with any talent. I can strum a guitar a little bit, but none of us here have any talent. That doesn't stop us. <laughs> uh, it's all about it's all about your depth of bullshit. It's, boy, I'll tell you what. Between you and me, it's deep. We're <laughs> fucking Mozart. <laughs> Mariana Trench. <laughs> That's right. It's deep. As as uh, um. Oh, so many people talk about the business of music and, and entertainment and, and all of that. Jonathan Winters, I think, said it best when he when he defined California and the business in California. Um, there's always the Hunter Thompson thing about music, music business, solid money trench, um, thieves and crooks and thieves and blah, blah, blah. Um, Jonathan said it better. He said, California, 900 miles long, 400 miles wide, and one quarter inch deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, because it's way, way accurate. On many levels, it's way accurate. So, Bob, what are our traditional questions that we ask? Yeah. Oh, come on. Come all right. So um, one of the things we've asked you all about moving here and what brought you here and all that kind of stuff. Those are normally things we like to ask people. But so what's what's been one of your favorite Austin experiences? If I wanted to be a jerk, I'd say moving, but that would be a lie. I would just be being a jerk. Um, one of my favorite Austin ex- – oh, well, seeing – Seeing um, a musical experience for me that, that really tops basically all of them in terms of being an audience 
because I don't go to gigs. I, I really have a hard time sitting and watching. But Sarah got tickets for a Bob Dylan concert at uh, um, oh that big center downtown. The, the Long the, Center? Um, on the Irwin Center. Oh, the Irwin Center, yeah. Okay. And Bob Dylan was the headline act, but it was the opening act was um, Paul Simon. And it was, I'm like, all right, well, this sounds good. So we went and, and we had some decent seats and, and, you know, the lights finally come down and, and there's this roar out of 18,000 people because the place is packed and nothing happened. And slowly the audience sort of calmed down and waited, but it was, it was basically black. And all of a sudden, a downstage special really finally focused, blasts down, and there's a microphone down center, and it's Paul Simon, and he's just standing, and the place goes berserk. And right before that light happened, there was like a cord coming through the PA. It's just beautiful um, um, polyphonic cord. And he started singing, and he and he, the first thing he did was basically a cappella. There was one chord; the chord never changed. And with this chord never changing, he sang "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Wow! And I was stymied. There was I, I, there was nothing I could say. And that led to two hours of the best music I've ever seen. Steve Gadd on drums, the two Brazilian percussionists, the bass player and the guitar player from Graceland, the guys from the Cameroons, um, piano player, another piano player, the original Saturday Night Live horn section, which I got to meet because I actually had the honor of playing that show a couple times. Um, a young man that sang the Garfunkel parts played acoustic guitar and cello. And it was perfect. It was absolutely two hours of perfection. And when it was done, second or third encore, um, Paul Simon invited Dylan out. And they were going to do a song. Everyone, everyone knows something. Someone called Johnny B. Good of all songs. Everybody that's ever played anything ever in their lives has played Johnny B. Good. That thing. And so Dylan came out with a um, with a telly strapped on, played the song out of tune in the wrong key. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's the way the Dylan part of the concert started. Um, when it was done, before his encore, I pleaded with Sarah to leave before the audience did. So that was, the, it was like the yin and yang of my time at the Irwin Center, which is the only time I was ever in that place. Paul Simon's show was breathtaking. Um, I oh the old the only other a great a great thing when we first moved here, our friend John Inman was invited us to come to some place called Green Hall. When he spelled it out, it was like Grün, and I'm like, that's green. He said, yes, it's green. It's a German settlement. It's green. Believe me. So he told me how to get there. And we went. He told us how to get there, and we went. And 
We walked in that place, and all I saw, um, they, he was playing with a band at the time called the Wimberley Volunteer Fire Ants. They were great. Bluegrass, and they always had a guest. That was the volunteer part. And they, and they did nothing but Grateful Dead. But they did it as a bluegrass band, and they had great vocals and great players. That was wonderful. We walked in that place. We'd been in Austin for two weeks. Now, understand, Sarah grew up on cattle ranches and, and lived a very she – she's a cowgirl. She lived a very um, controlled life in that there was no drugs. There was country music. There was horses. She became an, uh, um, she's an, an incredible equestrian. Um, she did all that. She went to medical school, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, 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 and now all of a sudden we moved to Austin. It's only a couple of weeks in and we walk into green hall and the place is packed. And all I saw was tie dyed t-shirts and all I smelled was patchouli oil, sandalwood incense and pot. And I looked at Sarah, and she's she's got a she's a little bit not too sure what she's just walked into because it was a, a unique experience for her. And I walked in and I said, "Baby, we're home." And that was my first real experience in Austin. No, that sounds interesting. So that one answers. That's pretty good for that one, I guess. Yeah. Next, I'm having fun. <laughs> One of the other things that uh, we always like to ask our guest is, uh, you know, Austin likes to be keep Austin weird. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in Austin? Oh, I can't talk about that shit. <laughs> oh, sure you can. No, 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 no. I can't. I mean, I've seen I've seen some pretty bizarre stuff in Austin. There was a guy that used to bike down Shoal Creek when when, but he would bike all over Austin. But he would bike down Shoal Creek. Thong man. Huh? Thong man. That thong man. Thong man. Thong man. And he was a skinny guy with real long hair and, and very um, um, tan. Nice and, legs. Huh? Nice legs. Oh, no, no. There was nothing nice about that shit. Um, <laughs> he would he would just ride up and down the streets basically naked. Um. There was that, what was that other guy, Joel? He, he was like a street musician, street person that was really cool. He finally passed. You're not talking about Leslie, are you? Leslie. I like Leslie. Yeah, Les, Leslie was something else. <laughs> Les, but there, there were a bunch of people like that, you know? I mean, weird in Austin when we first moved here, there was, there was clubs like the Red Eyed Fly and, and, there was there was some really great alternative rock and roll, some really hard rock and roll, which still exists. Um, God, you know, I mean, I never I never found Austin to be so terribly weird, but that might have to do with the fact that my life experience long before I moved to Austin included some pretty weird shit. So your your yardstick for weird is different than most people's. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. It is. It's more, it's more like I get that. <laughs> a half mile stick. Yeah. 
So, um, finally, if somebody were moving to Austin, what piece of advice would you give them? Say that again. I, I missed the last part. Sure. I said if somebody wanted to move to Austin, what piece of advice would you give them? Besides don't. Right. No, I wouldn't say that. I would not say that. Um, Austin treated Sarah and I really well. My only issue with Austin was the fact that I didn't fit. And Sarah, I mean, we've my little studio was incredibly successful, and Sarah's had incredible success with their music to radio, and we've done great concerts, and and it's all it's all wonderful. Um, the thing that we just didn't fit. We we both grew up in in a different kind of place, and and we realized pretty early on that that eventually we would have to we would have to get out, and so that was. A, a motivating factor in our, in our general day, day to day lives. We look for a place to live for a long time. Um, I would tell people that Austin still, and this might've changed, but up to the time that, that we left, there was an influx of people from the Northeast and there was certainly an influx of people from, from California, which I can't bust because I'm from California um, just the California that I'm from is a little different than most as well. Um, I would say that the people here, I would, ex- I would hope that they would experience what we experienced, which was really friendly people. You can expect friendly people. You have to come to Austin. I would, ex- a musician that was coming to Austin to live in Austin and, and make their way as a musician. I would say probably don't look in Austin because Joel and I both have dear friends, literally world-class people. I mean, people that have played with Rod Stewart and, and Van Morrison and, you know, I'm Bob Dylan. They can't afford to live in Austin anymore. It's a very expensive place to live now. And so um, I would tell musicians, come to Austin, but, you know, look, look in – some places in Williamson County, which is right next door, live look in Hayes County. There are places down there or in Bastrop County. Places that are that are next door neighbors, but you might have to drive 20, 25 minutes to get into Austin proper. Um, there are still great musicians, especially young players. There are some great young alternative rock and roll bands in Austin, Texas, right now. And there are places to go and see them perform. Um you know, business people, um, I would, I would hope that they would have a gig coming in because it's expensive now. When we moved here, um, it seemed very inexpensive because we moved from Santa Barbara, which was incredibly expensive already. Um, so when we moved, it was like, Oh, this place is nice. Gas is only 98 cents a gallon. In Santa Barbara, it was already $3. You know, it's like that. So my advice would be if you really have um, a desire to move here, go for it. Just understand that especially if you're not from Texas, you're moving to Texas. And that is a whole different creature. (laughs) Yes, it is. Amen. It really is. You know, I mean, the people that the native people of Austin, of Texas are very proud. 
mm-hmm. and have a right to be. And um, as Sarah would say, people would come to Austin when we lived there, especially early on, and they'd say, God, Texas is great. It's so peaceful and, and like loving and liberal. And Sarah would say, well, drive 20 miles in any direction, and then you'll be in, in, in Texas. Right now you're in Austin. Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh once um, quoted this quote that I have to, I had to remember because it was so appropriate. And he said, Austin, he was, he was talking about Austin, Texas. And he said, Austin, Texas, the last bastion of liberal stupidity in that otherwise great sea of conservatism known as the Republic of Texas. Yeah, things have changed since he said that. Uh, you start boy, taking, boy. taking a look around, uh, say, Houston, right along the border, I've noticed, uh, Dallas. You know, they're starting to turn a lot more uh, blue now. It's, it's turned purple. Yep. Austin, um, Texas is now a purple state. It really, really is. In 2018, Williamson County, in 16, Williamson County was one of the most conservative voting counties in Texas. And Liberty Hill was one of the most conservative voting cities in all of Texas. And it's a little town. It's a little central Texas town, but it is very conservative. And um, in 2018, Williamson County went blue mm-hmm. because of this great influx of people from Austin and from like out of state moving to Austin, but can't, I mean, you know, you buy a house in Austin now and you're going to, I mean, a house, you can buy it. You can buy a, 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 buy a condominium or an apartment in one of the high rises in Austin. You're going to spend a couple million dollars. Yeah. It's just truth. People would move to Austin and realize this place is too expensive. They come out here and, and, and can still, I mean, it's, it's still a, a ton of money. Find an acre and a nice house, um, a custom home, which means you get five or six plans to choose from on, a, on an acre and spend half a million dollars, right. $400,000, which is a shitload of money, but still far less than living in Austin itself. And people that come here now are really, a lot of them are high-tech folks. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, $400,000 coming from California is nothing. Right. If they bought in, in, in Austin. By the way, Bob, I have a question for you. Yes. Do you know why um, the United States will never have the metric system? Never. Impossible. Right. I, I've heard this before, I think, but I don't remember right off the top of my head. Well, the, the, the only answer is that there is no metric equivalent to a shitload. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. I, I should have seen that coming from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, um, hey, it's been great having you here. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. This has been so much fun, man. It's been so much fun. I mean, Joel has talked about this and about you, complimentary, um, for a while now. And when he asked me if I would, if I would be willing to um, 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 shred a little bit on your blog. Um, I said, is it okay if I, me? And, and I have, I, 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 Joel, I've, I've, 
I've modulated things a bit, you have to admit. You have put on a nice filter. You played nicely. We like that. Thank you, Merle. I have played nicely. I have. My, Indeed. I, so, I allow the filter to, to, it's like a noise gate when you record. You set the threshold, but if you get loud enough, something will break through. And so yeah. there were a couple breakthroughs, but mostly it was good. Uh, hear that, or you just kind of decide how much bullshit you want to let through. Well, I don't know. No, I mean, everything you heard was bullshit, but <laughs> I only dropped a couple F-bombs. That's, That's true. Well, um, well I so, love you, Merle. Thanks for being on. Hey, so Merle, do you have anything you want to plug for yourself or for Sarah? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I have been, okay, this, uh, boy, I say, uh, when I say it'll go fast, that'll be within five minutes. Um, I have recently, since my little studio out here has been up, I've been blessed. I've worked with some great artists, and I would like to plug them all, and it won't take long, starting with um, a fellow named Bob Marshall, who is an award-winning Western music artist. Um, he is now, I've rec- produced three of his records and he's won national awards from the Academy of Western Music and the Western Music Association, Album of the Year, Artist of the Year, Male Vocalist of the Year. Kind of, he's great. Big baritone voice. If you like Western music with a, a little bit of rock and roll throat in, you like that one a lot. Okay, there's that. A fellow named Randy Palmer, incredible songwriter. Anybody that wants to look up true Americana artists, look up Randy Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R. You'd have to Google his name. You'll get there. A fellow named Randy Brown, who is a multiple award-winning singer-songwriter. I just finished producing an album with him and it has gotten gigantic reviews and um, has already won awards. Randy is, is uh, really a special, special songwriter. Um, He really is. Um, Randy Brown. And again, I I think it might be Brown Randy music because there's other Randy Brown. So he flipped his name and I don't have a website for him. Um, a fellow named Michael Lafferty, another great singer-songwriter. He lives down in, on, on Padre Island. And he, spells, he spells his first name wrong. Um, instead of A-E, he spells it E-M-I-C-H-E-A. Um, Michael Lafferty, L-A-F-E-R-T-Y, great one. Um, Joel, I would, I would pitch Joel. That album, it's, it's older now, but it's a great record, y'all, if, if if you haven't, if you don't know about Joel and his songwriting, just you just know about him from the blog. Go check out his music because it's really worthy of it. And plus, his music goes to an incredibly wonderful cause. Um, he's he's it's worth the time. A couple last ones. Um, Tom Fairney, F A I R N I E, Scottish writer, a poet, a poet laureate. Um, he really, truly is. His, the concept of his record was he was going to take, he wanted to take Celtic music and he wanted me to produce his Celtic music, but he wanted me to marry it 
to Americana. So I said, that's cool. Cause I like Mel- Celtic music a lot. And I, and I do a lot of Americana. And so I said, I think we can do this. So we did what we did. And if you go to his website, you will see review after review. It's just released. It was released May 1st. And it's already been named album of the week on, 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 on one of the major BBC radio shows. It's already been um, honored as album of the week on the number one Scottish radio show. Um, it's just doing amazingly well. And, um, and we, 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 we called it Celticana. Uh, um, nice. and my wife, Sarah Pierce. Um, SarahPierce.com. Sarah Pierce Music at AOL.com. You can write it. Um, I think she's brilliant. Um, she's got the most incredibly beautiful voice. Um, every song that we've ever released to radio has broken the top 30. And we released probably 10 songs. We released to independent country. She had a single called Butterfly Tattoo that went to number four in the nation. We released two to um, um, adult contemporary music, one of which broke the top 20, which is gigantic because that's a huge, huge format. One went to number 11 in the nation. I have a chart that shows Sarah above, um, Sting, Phil Collins, Alanis Morissette, Cheryl Crow, Kenny Loggins. I'm so proud of that, I can't tell you. And we pulled that out. And we pulled that song because it was still going, but we couldn't afford the payola to keep it going. Payola is alive and well. Um, so I, I, I would, I would so seriously recommend her as well. All the people that I've mentioned are, are, they're just all brilliant. And I am so honored that somehow or other I get an opportunity to work with them. You know, it's, 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 it truly is humbling. This is not bullshit. I am humbled by the fact that I get to work with people of their talent. So throw out the name of your studio for anybody who may be looking for a place to uh, record or something like that or need some help with some things. Do what now? Throw out the name of your studio. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Um, it's the Cribworks Audio. <clears throat> um, um, and the website is Cribworks. C-R-I-B W-O-R-K-S Digital Audio. Cribworks DigitalAudio.com. Go there. You can read about, you can read about me. You can read about, uh, uh, people that I've worked with. You can read about the equipment. Um, you can read about the fact that I'm a pretty damn good cook and I make great coffee. Excellent. Well, Merle, we really appreciate your time. Um, thank you. So thank you. Thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you again at some point in the future when we have something interesting that we want to run by you or something. But uh, I would, I would, I would so love that. All right, Merle. So, thank you so much. It's great to see you, bud. Hey, Joel. Merle. Joel. 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 Hello, Joel. Joel. <laughs> come back, Joel. Um, hey, Bob. Thanks, man. Please have. Please do. And 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 um, five one two five six seven four three two zero is my studio number. Anyone that wants to call and just talk, ask questions. 
there's very few that I probably can't give an answer to because I've done this stuff for too long. And I would, and, and I offer that freely and, and happily. All right. Sounds good. Fantastic. Well, thanks a bunch, Merle. Yeah. Really thanks. appreciate it. And I love y'all. We'll see you next love time you too, on the bud. Trail to Austin. Bye, folks. Thanks, man.